You're listening to On The Record Offscript. My name is Mark Coffin. I'm your host. This week, we're bringing you two brand new episodes dedicated to exploring the relationship between the media and MLAs. In this, our second episode, we draw from the interviews my co-host, Sandra Hennebaum, conducted with four of the people whose job it is to cover the Nova Scotia legislature and Nova Scotia politics more broadly. As some of the people you'll hear from in this episode told us, most Nova Scotians never set foot in province house, and they never watch the machinations of the house from the gallery. That's a motivator for many of the journalists who cover the house to do a good job and report on what goes on there. Similarly, even fewer people get a chance to watch and observe how the legislature is covered by these journalists, and that's a motivator for us to do a good job in putting this episode together. In this episode, we'll unpack some of the ways that journalists in Nova Scotia approach their job, from the practical and tactical strategies they use when dealing with politicians, to how they respond to the criticisms lobbed at them by former MLAs. To start, we asked those working the legislature beat to tell us what they saw their role as being at Province House. I'm at Province House not uh, for no other reason to really to be than to be a surrogate for uh, for the electorate who wants to know what their where their tax dollars is are going and how. That's Jean Laroche. He's CBC's legislative reporter, and he has been covering politics in Nova Scotia since. No, I've been around since Christ was on the cross. Sandra uh, interviewed him during the summer of 2016. I have always viewed my function as being. Uh, the eyes and the ears for the public down there. That's Michael Gorman. He's been covering the legislature since 2013, has worked for the Chronicle Herald, Local Express, and he now works for CBC. Sandra also interviewed him in the summer of 2016. So if I'm not doing it, and if my colleagues aren't doing it, then frankly, folks down there can do whatever the hell they want, and the general public more times than not won't know about it. Generally, as journalists, we're asking for for most of our focus is around the policies that are promised, either during the election or in a throne speech. That's Marika Walsh. She covers the legislature for Global News. So we're focusing on those policies, tracking them, seeing their rollout, seeing if they've missed deadlines or if they're on track. The business of the legislature is to make laws, right? And so the laws are the things that affect people's lives. And that's Sarah Ritchie. She's the legislative reporter for CTV. When government puts forward a bill, it's a matter of determining what that bill means to the average person or what it means to that specific group that it's targeting. Sanders spoke with both Marika Walsh and Sarah Ritchie in the summer of 2017. We wanted to speak to the journalists that cover Nova Scotia politics because when we spoke to MLAs, they expressed frustration and concern that the media was responsible for provoking some of the division, some of the conflict, and some of the controversy that we're familiar with reading about and hearing about. We did ask the journalists we spoke to about those things, but first we wanted to unpack a little bit about how these journalists actually go about covering Nova Scotia politicians. The way politics is covered in Nova Scotia is somewhat seasonal. There are two seasons, one when the legislature is sitting, and another when it is not. Most of the time, the legislature is not sitting. But we'll start with how politics gets covered when it is. What happens in the legislature is that um, because you're in such tight quarters, you often can get the minister that you need either before question period or after question period. And the same goes for the premier. He's usually available once, sometimes twice, um, once on the way in and once on the way out, but more frequently, I think it's now become once on the way out of question period. So as, as a 
gallery were sort of set up in the hallway, if you can picture um, the hallway between the actual legislative gallery and the red chamber. Um, sort of what you would picture if you thought about a scrum scenario where all the cameras and all their lights are on <laughs> and we're just um, we're there and we're ready to speak to a minister as soon as they are ready. Scrums are certainly more I would I'm not sure if combative is the right word they're certainly more energy filled than for example sit down interview it's often a very short amount of time so you know that they're going to pull the premier you know, in 10 or 15 or even fewer minutes, depending on his schedule. So in order for you to get your question in for the story that you're doing or a story that one of your colleagues is doing that you're gathering clips for, you need to really make sure that your voice is heard. So then that's where the intensity comes from. So it's not because you're trying to get them. Well, it's it's not a, a get them thing. I think I mean, that's... I, I know that politicians like to think of uh, reporters as a pack and working as a pack, but it, we're all individuals who are, um, there isn't, this, you know, despite the, what, what some would believe, we don't sit around before scrums and say, okay, we're going after some so-and-so on this particular topic. It doesn't happen. The dynamics of a scrum um, can make it appear that way, if we're not getting answers and everybody is looking for a clarification. I think you mentioned there can be sort of an adversarial nature in, in the House, and I think maybe that's, uh, maybe the Scrum is a little bit to blame for that. I, I can see why people would feel that that's an adversarial environment, and, and I understand that. But when it functions well, a Scrum is a pretty important tool for a journalist, because it's that very basic principle of two heads are better than one. So if you're trying to ask the right questions to get the right answers on a given topic um, and you have five other individuals who are also interested in getting the same answers, can maybe try it different ways. Um, maybe they know a different question to ask. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of experience within the press gallery that I certainly don't have. And so it's nice to the Scrum is a useful tool for the people who cover the legislature as their beat. And for the people who only want to cover the basics, the Scrum is also a way to get by for the reporters who don't want to or don't have time to do their homework. Uh, for some people, it, it's just easier to come down, stick out the microphone, um, take whoever walks up to it and talks into it because you, you're hard-pressed to find a politician who won't do that. And, and then take it back to the office and, and package it together. And that's, a, that's one way of covering the ledge. I don't think it's a particularly productive or useful way of covering the ledge, but that's one way to do it. And I, I can understand why some reporters do. You know, the other thing is that because so few people cover it regularly, cover it as a beat, often you'll get people who are sent down there because well, the outlet is short on bodies and they need somebody to cover cabinet. So can you just go and stick out the microphone and, and rely on the reporters who know this stuff to, to ask the questions and then we'll assemble it when you get back? The kind of stories that end up getting covered in the Scrum are the ones everyone has questions about. Ones that are already in the news cycle or that are about to become part of the news cycle because it's what government wants to talk about. 
what's going on here today that people have to know about, sort of the day-to-day, just the facts, ma'am kind of thing. There are certain functions the government people need to know about. The budget was released today. The public accounts were released today. Um, a, a, a labor bill that's going to affect 70,000 people was passed today. These stories are the bread and butter of covering Nova Scotia politics, and the Scrum can be an effective tool for digging deeper into them. But there are stories that the government doesn't want to talk about. Stories that come from research and investigation, from freedom of information requests, attending obscure committee meetings, and reading through tomes of dry paperwork in search of a needle in the haystack. These kind of stories don't get exposed by the reporters who come down to Province House and just stick a mic into a scrum. They get exposed by the journalists who are doing their homework. Understandably, the journalists who break these stories don't want to give them up to the scrum before they've had a chance to put their own stamp on it first. These stories are as important, arguably more important, than whatever it is the government wants to talk about that day. Let's say I want to speak with that cabinet minister outside of a scrum, so I'm not tipping off my colleagues in the press gallery to what I'm working on that day, which happens. Uh, I would take that individual into another room and typically one or maybe two communications reps would come with um, from the department or from the party or both. Do you get a lot of one-on-ones with with MLAs? Well, that sort of depends what you mean. If you mean, do I get to speak to an MLA with nobody else around me, nobody recording the conversation? No, typically not. Yeah, the ledge is pretty heavily managed by comms people now. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I could be having the most innocuous conversation in the world with an MLA. Um, what's going on back in in Shelburne or, or, or Bridgewater or wherever it is that they're from, in part because I'm just shooting the shit, in part because maybe there's an interesting story going on down there that we, being based in Halifax, wouldn't otherwise be aware of. And they can let me know, well, actually, there's this kid who's doing this thing or this company that's doing that thing. You're, you're hard-pressed to get more than 30 seconds uh, standing and talking to an MLA by yourself before there's some handler from a caucus or a department standing there next to you typing away on their fucking phones. And they record it as well? Yep. So you're recording it, but they're recording you recording it? Yeah. Okay. Do you know why they do that? Um, I mean, I've never outright asked why they do that, but I would assume it's to have their own copy, um, you know, to be able to verify. But also, I th- I think that part of the process is to be able to go back and ensure that the messaging that they want is there. But you'd have to ask them if right. that's part of it. That, in a nutshell, is the reality of covering the legislature in Nova Scotia. Journalists have all of the tools that they usually have at their disposal, their research skills, story tips they might get from the public or sources within the government or a party. But their main tool is the physical closeness to politicians that is provided by hanging around a sitting legislature when politicians generally have to walk past them to get to where they're going. Even the shadow-like communication staff are more accessible. A journalist can walk up to them and ask a question, a question that can't easily be ignored as a phone call or email might be. It's important not to understate the presence of communications officials at Province House. Not journalists, but the people whose job it is to be the eyes and ears of people they work for. Politicians, cabinet ministers, departments, and parties. You've heard Michael Gorman and Sarah Ritchie describe how these staffers find their way into one-on-one conversations between journalists and MLAs. But they are also a part of the scrum. When a scrum is happening, there are often three to four hands holding mics or cameras in the scrum that don't belong to journalists at all. 
one for each of the opposition parties, one from Communications Nova Scotia's staff, and sometimes one from the communication staff for the governing party too. But because of the close quarters and the culture of granting reporters access to politicians that's a part of the legislature, the role of communication staff is limited in the legislature. Once the legislature is no longer sitting, communication staff get the opportunity to fall back into their preferred position of being a gatekeeper, and that makes it harder to get access to politicians. They're definitely not always available, <laughs> definitely not always reachable. Um, I think it depends on the story, the issue you're asking about. Sometimes you'll get a statement from the communication staff at 4 p.m., and sometimes you'll have an interview offered up at 9 a.m., so... When the legislature is not in session, reporters still have a chance to access cabinet ministers and the premier, but that access is limited to once a week following cabinet meetings. And in some cases, there simply is no cabinet meeting. Often outside of the legislature and outside of cabinet days, I would say there's a more, much more than 50%, maybe like more than 80% chance that you're going to get a statement rather than an interview from a cabinet minister or from the the premier for sure i think that there's definitely back and forths behind the scene about whether or not to give an interview but i'm not privy to that certainly though if you look at access to information requests that show a media request then you see there are several people on an email chain either vetting the statement that they're sending Mm -hmm. or at least being made aware that this interview request has been Mm -hmm. put through and in fairness i don't I don't know what happens on that end, so I can't speak to the process that they go through when I make a request. But there are times when um, a request for information takes more than a news day for me, and that can be frustrating because if I can't get that information by news time, it cannot be included in the piece that I air at 6 o'clock. That's my deadline every day. I don't have a choice about that. Right. Do you think that? Do you think that's ever on purpose? I cannot speak to that. I have no idea. And then, of course, they don't want to do interviews with you or they'll try to avoid it if you have, you know, access to information requests that raise questions or new data. Um, There's not always a a huge willingness or availability. Who knows what their scheduling is? I don't see that side of it. Now that we've covered some of the more practical realities facing how journalists do their jobs, we'll use the remainder of this episode to share some of what we heard from journalists about the nature of their workplace, the legislature, the ideals they aim to strive for in their work there, the challenges and limits that they face in the current media landscape, and of course, their responses when we asked them about what the XMLA said about their craft. I guess what is kind of fascinating about that workplace is that there are almost three distinct workplaces happening at once, if that makes sense. There are the staff of the legislature who are there to make the legislature run efficiently, the clerks, the pages. Those people do the work of the legislature as as an entity. And then there are the MLAs, the elected representatives who are doing the work of lawmakers. And then there are sort of a third group, which is the journalists who are doing the work of the press gallery covering the legislature, covering the lawmakers. Right. The House is an interesting place because in many ways you're held captive in the same, um, in the same precinct, and so you interact uh, professionally and personally um, on a daily basis. So you see people over and over again. It's much like 
going back to school or university, you see some of the you see some classmates, you see professors, you see you, you interact in this world, uh, and the legislature being as small as it is, it's hard not to uh, know most of the people who are sitting there, and most of, they know most of the reporters because there are so few of us now. I think there's uh, on any given day. Uh, there would be a half dozen reporters that would cover the house. There's really only three of us who do it uh, gavel to gavel when the house is sitting. Um, do you do you think there are enough reporters to give enough perspectives covering the legislature? Uh, um, no, I don't. Um, keep in mind there aren't many of us who do, mm -hmm. and and I think as far as our press gallery goes, we've got some pretty damn good reporters in it. Um, You'd be hard-pressed to find any press gallery with, with a couple of guys as good as Brian Flynn and Jean LaRoche. But the difficulty comes when you're down there and you've got editors barking at you from back at the office that they need something immediately. And can you get video and can you get audio and can you get pictures and uh, can you bang out eight graphs for the web real quick? And you're trying to feed a beast while also trying to operate a filter and trying to include nuance. The demands, uh, the demands today, and I think this would be uh, the greatest threat to uh, proper journalism and being able to cover stuff is the fact that reporters are being asked to do 17 different things. Their to-do list is as long as your arm. You know, you got to live tweet, you, perhaps you'll periscope uh, a scrum, uh, then you need to uh, file for radio, then file for online, and then file for television and the rest of it. It's those demands and not having the ability to say, wait a sec, I need to stop and think about this for a sec before I react to it. Um, I think that's a much greater threat to um, uh, any kind of coverage, let alone political coverage, is simply the demands and not having the time to say, okay, well, wait a second, what exactly is this about? Do I understand this properly? And if I don't understand it properly, do I have time to make some calls and find out what, what the real situation is? Um, I think that's a much greater threat than any perceived conspiracy between uh, media outlets. We don't have time to to conspire, frankly. Do you think uh, media has any control or influence on the tone of the House? On the tone? So, heckling, for instance. Um, oh, do they act differently because we're there? Right, like uh, antagonistic behavior or posturing oh, oh, for oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the constituency. Absolutely. There's absolutely a ton of posturing going on. I mean, there was... Um, a liberal MLA who would consistently get thrown out of the house, raise you know, raise raise a fuss, and be completely um, outraged about a particular if issue or uh, whatever, and get thrown out of the house, and then you know would leave the house and come back an hour later laughing and having a good time. So there's no question that there is. There is posturing going on, and there is uh, feigned outrage. Um, I'm not saying that that's uh, that's always the case, because you know there is the heated debate, and people do get pissed off at one another in there. 
but uh, there's, you look at the question period, question period isn't about the questions or the answers. Um, it's about scoring political points. Nobody's looking for a straight answer. So, so most of them um, kind of blame the media for why the tone of the house was bad. So, so oh, why sure so they much do. heckling happens. Sure. What's your response to that? I think that's bullshit. I mean, I, I, I haven't, I, I, I mean, these guys heckle because it gets them on the news. Um, they heckle because when they first started at the ledge, they see more senior politicians doing it. And so some of them think that that's the way to go about uh, getting attention or go about getting things done. Are some people going to put that on TV? Sure they are. But I can tell you right now, you're not getting in my story just because you're making an ass of yourself on the floor. But I don't think that the fact that it's going to get you on TV is a good enough reason for you to do it. You know, that's kind of like, uh, that's kind of like the, the, the proverbial line your mother says that if, that if everybody else was jumping off the bridge, would you do it too? You know, at some point, I think everybody has to stop for a second and recognize that we're all adults in this. And ultimately, as an adult, accountability for your behavior falls on you. I mean, that, that to me is a cop-out on, on the part of the person who's doing it. Now, if you do it because you believe that there's value in doing it, then that's fine. I, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, whether I agree with it or not is moot. I guess I would say this. I visited the legislature in Saskatchewan when I was a little girl in elementary school um, where I grew up. We went to the legislature for a day and we toured around this grand building and then we were invited in to watch question period, just a, just a snippet of question period. And all of us were horrified and amazed by the fact that these are adults, our premier, our, our elected representatives shouting at one another. I do remember thinking that was a very bizarre thing to be seeing, but also I do remember my teacher at the time saying, this is not how this always works. They do other things. Question period is just the part that goes on TV. Um, I see groups of children come in to the legislature now that I'm covering it and I watch them file into the gallery and sit down and watch a snippet of question period and listen to what is often a heated exchange and I think I hope somebody is telling them that this is not how it always is because it is not how it always is. Uh, I will say that Make no mistake, the press gallery is aware that the important work of the legislature happens usually before and after question period. You find yourself looking for some some controversy. I mean, we we heard from one of the MLAs that they were actually whisked away to a breakfast where the the uh, reporters told him to be more adversarial of so cut him out of coverage. And, uh, well, first of all, I, sorry, not to interrupt you, but first of all. I think it's completely inappropriate to tell an MLA how they should or shouldn't behave. That's that's their business. I'm not I'm not there to stage manage politicians. Um, I don't mind controversy, and, and just so we're clear, I'm saying mine, M-I-N-E. I don't go looking for it. Sometimes it's there, obviously, and and the political system's very setup is such that it's it's adversarial. 
Um, the government does something, and then the opposition comes out and tells us why it's shitty. That's the way it works. Yeah. But I've never been a big fan of giving oxygen to a politician or a party or an issue simply because um, it's an easy way to get a, a, a story out. I, I've always been of the viewpoint that if you want to quote my story, you've got to earn it. You've got to you've got to contribute something. Um, very quickly, the example that jumps to my mind is when early into the current government's life, Nelson Mandela died and uh, the prime minister invited all of the premiers to go with him to Africa for the funeral. And, and our premier was one of the few who went. And it happened to be while the house was sitting. And it's a rarity for the premier uh, to miss time in the house when it's sitting. But uh, the premier decided that if you're going to miss time in the house, probably when it's Nelson Mandela's funeral and you've been invited by the PM as part of the Canadian delegation, that's that's an acceptable time to go. And the leader of the opposition tried to make a big deal out of that. And I stood in the in the uh, outside of the chamber at the ledge and watched all of the other reporters gather around him and interview him and do a story on it. And I decided fuck that this is a stupid story that uh, well it's not a story that this guy is concocting and the notion that if he were premier he would have told the prime minister he wasn't going to go to Mandela's funeral to me was just ridiculous and so that that's an example where I said you know fuck this this is uh this is a stupid manufactured thing and I'm not going to give it oxygen I mean we got it we got a sense from some of the XMLAs that that they had to do it, that that they had to chase headlines. Mm. And so in that way, they were kind of under the thumb of media because they want a particular angle or they just want something sensational to happen. And if you're just dealing with the issues, you're not providing that. You know what? It, it's a chicken and the egg thing, right? Um, in some ways, the heat and uh, fire of debate gets your attention, right? It's one of those things where anything out of the ordinary. I personally, uh, when I'm down in my basement, uh, I, I, I'll be working away at my office and I'll, ha I'll always have the TV on and the debate going. And the yelling no longer captures my attention because it's just so much background noise. What what now gets my attention is the silence. If the house suddenly goes quiet, I'll look up and go, okay, what's going on now? Silence is, in some cases, much more powerful than, than yelling. Look at any number of uh, silent vigils and marches in the States where people, like, people, I don't think, hear yelling anymore. It's just so much blah, 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 blah. Um, I think what is more powerful today is silence. I mean, I get it. Part of the part of the job of being a politician and being in politics is keeping people aware of you, because at some point you're going to ask people to vote for you, and 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 when that happens, you need them to know you, and you need them to to think highly of you. And so people go on call-in shows whenever they get the chance to do it, and people send out news releases whenever they get the chance to do it. But that doesn't mean that I, as a reporter, am ob obligated to do. A story. I'm not. I'm not a communications arm of these parties, and so to me, part of my job is 
putting those news releases through a filter and determining is there value is there value in in what's being said here is there substance is it something that's worth pursuing and is it something that the the general public would be served to know about the government always wants you to believe that their good news announcement is good news because they're trying to sell the electorate on that which is why they have the communications Nova Scotia and they have at their disposal all the um, tools that uh, the, uh, that you know ten billion dollar budget can can uh, can afford you in terms of uh, communications people. Um, they have a whole department devoted simply to getting their message out. But that's not my job. My job is to serve my listeners, readers, um, and viewers. And to tell them what I, what I think they need to know about what's happening uh, at Province House. You know, there is a tension between journalists and government. And there's supposed to be. Right? It's not supposed to be a cozy relationship. So that means it's not always going to be comfortable. We, we are, we have different agendas. We have different, we have a different mandate. So at least how journalists are taught in J school is spin comes from some sort of entity, be it a government department, be it a politician, whoever. And it's journalists job to cut through the spin. Let's put it this way, the end goal for everyone who's there is basically the same. Everybody who works out of the legislature, I think, fundamentally believes that in that democratic process and believes that it's important. And I think um, it's kind of a beautiful overlap, that, that overlap of those three distinct workplaces. All of that has to function together. Y you know, you don't have democracy without a free press right if if you know and and maybe there are days when a scrum goes poorly that um, maybe there's a little bit of tension between the two sides but I I don't think that I, I don't know I've never I've never I guess left the legislature and felt like there wasn't a you don't leave feeling very cynical I don't know if that's fair to say. I guess what I would say is that it's it's a really great place to work. It's a really interesting thing to be a part of. And as a journalist, I believe really strongly in the role of journalists in democracy. And I think that the role of the press gallery is very important. And I believe in the thing that we are doing every day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Offscript. It's September 20th, and we just released two episodes, this one and another episode that explores the relationship between media and MLAs from the MLAs perspective, where we share some stories we heard when interviewing former MLAs about their time in public life. You can find that by going to springtide.ngo slash OS12 or looking for it in wherever it is you collect your podcasts. If you're a longtime listener of Offscript, consider sharing this week's episode. The easiest way to do that is to head over to springtide.ngo slash OS13 and share that on Facebook, Twitter, or via email. If you already follow Springtide on Facebook, you can also just head over to our Facebook page and we have it posted there and you can just click share. Same thing for Twitter. When you share the podcast, it helps us grow the listener base and makes producing a podcast like this more sustainable. Another way you can help do that is by giving us a star rating on iTunes and writing a short comment about why you like the show. 
If you are one of the people who has just listened to the show for the first time, welcome. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe. You can subscribe in iTunes by searching for On The Record Off Script or doing the same thing in whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you're not a podcast listener yet, you don't listen to any podcasts, but you still stumbled upon this episode somehow and you want to hear more of what we do, head on over to offscript.ca slash subscribe, where we walk you through how to make podcasts a part of your life and show you how you can get notifications each week when a new podcast from this series is released. 